And uh, I mentioned last Sunday that we're going to deviate from our study in 1 John for a couple of weeks so that we could talk about Christmas. I mean, it is Christmas time, and the pastor has to preach about Christmas. Can I get an amen? amen. And now's the time to do it. I mean, next Sunday is the play, so that'll take care of that. But there's this Sunday, then there's two Sundays, no, one Sunday after Christmas, and then it's New Year's. So we'll start back in 1 John on the first Sunday of the new year. Anyway, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 1 today. So get your Bibles or your app or whatever you have and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. This is our time to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus, the Christ. It's time for the church to preserve this truth and to proclaim this truth and to protect this truth. You know why? The world's not going to do it. If we don't proclaim it, if we don't preach it, it's not going to happen in public schools or public colleges or universities. It's up to the church to proclaim this wonderful story of Christ's birth. So anyway, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, it gives us just a snippet of the story. And the story is much more complex than this, but this is a snippet of the birth of Christ. In my Bible, where it's divided into sections, it says the birth of Christ for this little section right here. So the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was mindful to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth their firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, Lord God, thank you for this wonderful news that a, a Savior has come. Thank you, Lord, that hearts all over the world during this, this season are thinking about, preaching about, proclaiming, reading about the birth of our Savior. Father, I pray your blessing over this uh, sermon today. Let it be helpful for everyone. Let it bring glory to your name. And uh, let it help the church to sense your presence in a, in a deeper way. Lord, anoint my mind and my lips that I may speak forth the things of God and let it be received and applied in such a way, Lord, that you'll be pleased with your people. So we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So I said earlier, this is a time for the church to preserve this truth, proclaim this truth, and to protect this truth. And I was thinking that the world system has almost, almost hijacked our special day with money, gifts, and stress and anxiety as, as we celebrate the birth of the Prince of Peace, not the birth of the Prince of Stress. 
But culturally, it's like we're in this, this area of like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But I think like, like Paul told Timothy, the church is the pillar and the foundation of, of what? Of the truth. We've got to proclaim this story. We've got to proclaim this truth. Because it's not going to happen elsewhere. It's up to us to keep this story alive. And so today, uh, I'm embarking upon something I've only done once before in my years of ministry. That was at 9 o'clock this morning. I told the whole story of Christmas. As much as I could get in there, I got it all in there, and I presented the whole ball of wax. So are you ready for that? Well, ready or not, you're going to get it today. But before I do that, I want to say something. Like my friend used to say, before I begin to speak, I've got something to say. I hope I have something to say as I begin to speak as well. But anyway, the Christmas story, I want you to think about this. The Christmas story is eternal. It's an eternal story. When you think about the Bible and the story of how God came, this was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. That there would be one coming. One would come to destroy the works of the enemy. He's going to come from the seed of a woman. He's going to be born of a woman. And there'll be enmity between her seed and the seed of Satan or the seed of demonic forces. And so from the very beginning, this was prophesied and proclaimed. Revelation 19, we have the story of Jesus coming back after the great tribulation. Riding on a horse to execute judgment on the earth. In Revelation 21, we hear the story of there's a new heaven and a new earth, and King Jesus will reign forever and ever. Amen. But this is an eternal story, this Christmas story. It's eternal. It'll always be. It'll always last. Also, it's a purposeful story. I don't know about you, but when I was born, I had to find my purpose. I mean, a few people celebrated. My mom and dad and my two brothers celebrated my birth. Maybe my grandparents, maybe my cousins. But it wasn't a real big deal. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like when we're born, we have to find our purpose. Well, Jesus' birth was extremely purposeful. And his, his birth was characterized by, by the purpose of what? Defeating the works of the enemy, defeating the work of Satan, by redeeming fallen humanity, by buying back what the thief had stolen away, and to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies about himself. Christmas is very purposeful. And Christmas is a holy story. It's a holy, the holy God of Israel that made a way for sinful humanity, Jew and Gentile, to be reconciled with a holy God. It was a holy night. The song is true, O Holy Night. It was a holy moment, and it was a holy birth. Unlike David, who said in Psalm 51, verse 5, In sin my mother conceived me. Jesus would never say that, because he wasn't conceived in a natural way. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and a virgin woman. In uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel's response to Mary of how could this be? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and, the, and uh, the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, you also, uh, therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. It's a holy story. It's an eternal story. It's a purposeful story. It's a holy story. And it's a life-changing story. You know, Jesus grew and became a great leader, a great teacher, and uh, performed many miracles. But he said this. He said, the Son of Man has come. We could paraphrase that to say, the Son of Man was born 
to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I get an amen right there? He's looking for somebody to save. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. He said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. And you know who that applies to? Every single one of us. I will give you rest. So this is a life-changing story. And also, I want to end the sermon today by saying that this is our story if we've received the Christ. I think about my Christmases, and I know for many people, uh, Christmas brings about an array of emotions, some good and some bad. I have good memories of my Christmases, and you probably have heard my stories, some of you. Maybe most of you have heard my stories, but just want to give you a snippet. Uh, How many of you remember back in the day when the, the older people in the families had cameras that they put on their shoulders with big floodlights on them, and they took what they called home movies, right? I have home movies. My sister put them on a, on a CD. I, I got it on a disc now. But yours truly is in kindergarten in an angel outfit with angel wings in the back, singing in the choir, Hark the herald angels sing. It's like, it's like, it's historical, and then there was another Christmas. I was probably, at this point, I was probably 10 or 11. You, 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 I know you heard this story before, but where I grew up, there was a, an estate near my house. A millionaire lived there. And every now and then, my brothers and I and our friends would sneak onto the estate. We'd, you know, we'd cause a little mischief, nothing too bad. Maybe steal some apples so my mom could make apple pie or whatever. But anyway, they had this humongous Christmas tree on their property. I mean, people came from all over the place to see this Christmas tree. It was bigger bigger than this. It was higher than the ceiling. It was probably almost like twice as high. At least that's my remembrance as a kid. But anyway, they had Christmas tree lights in that tree. And they had an electric box hooked up next to it. It must have cost a fortune to light it up. And they had bulbs around it. It was an awesome tree. But one day in a blizzard, around 7 o'clock, my brother and I left the house and we're walking around the estate and we see, we see the tree. It's like we couldn't resist the opportunity. We went over to the tree. And we very carefully began to climb into that tree. We were in the tree. I'll never forget. We were in the Christmas tree going up higher and higher. We were part of the whole scenario. It was a wonderful thing to do. I mean, my parents would have killed us, but that's another story. Then there was another Christmas when I was in eighth grade. And how old are you in eighth grade? About 13 or so. And uh, yours truly was a shepherd in the story. Well, the school had, a, had a, a makeup artist come to help everyone look the part. So all the shepherds were given a goatee. I had a goatee at age 13. I was so cool with that goatee. I was so cool when the play was over. I didn't take mine off. Everyone took theirs off. I kept mine on. I went home with it. I, I, I was showing everybody. I went for a walk down the street to show all my neighbors. I'm really cool. I have a goatee. And then I grew up to grow a goatee. But anyway, that's another story. But then I remember my, my very first born-again Christmas when uh, Pamela and I were recently married, recently accepted the Lord. We accepted the Lord in July. That Christmas, we were living in North Carolina at that time. And uh, you heard this story of, of our first Christmas tree. You know, we lived out in the woods in North Carolina. There were a million evergreen trees down there. So Pam said, go outside and cut down a little Christmas tree. Yeah, no problem. You know, I could do that. I couldn't, get the, I couldn't cut down a Christmas tree. 
but I did cut down a branch. And so I brought home a big branch and stuck it in a thing, and that was our Christmas tree that year. Very special. Pam will never let me live that down. But our first gift to each other, I, I still have it to this day, was our very first Bible. American Standard Version Bible. I went to the Christian bookstore and bought it. This was our faithful Bible for about six or seven years, I'd say. It's all marked up with different things that I was learning at the time. But the first Christmas, the first born again Christmas was a very, very special, special Christmas for us. So, can we tell the story of Christmas now? Are you ready to tell the real story? I mean, I can tell you my stories, but those stories are going to come and go. But the Christmas story will be permanent. So when we think about the Christmas story, we have to start way before Bethlehem in the manger. I mean, the story of Christmas begins really in Genesis uh, chapter 3, when, when the Lord, even before the prophets were proclaiming, the Lord was proclaiming, somebody's going to come to destroy the works of Satan. He's going to be born of a woman, the seed of a woman. Someone will come to, to, uh, to destroy what Satan has done to disrupt my love for people. And the Lord said, he'll be of the lineage of Abraham. He'll be of the lineage of Isaac. And then, then the prophets started to prophesy about this Christ child that was coming, whether it was Isaiah or Daniel, or Micah, or David, or Jeremiah, or Hosea, or Malachi. Even Jacob prophesied, and of all people, Balaam also prophesied. But they all said things that kind of made a composite picture that, that this, this child that was coming would come from the family of David. He'll have an eternal throne. He'll have a virgin birth. He'll be called a son or a child, but he'll also be called a wonderful counselor, prince of peace, and everlasting father. He'll be born in Bethlehem. They'll flee from there to go to Egypt and then come back into Israel. And they'll also be the slaughter of innocents in the story. Weeping in Ramah or in Bethlehem because of the Christ that was born. And so it was just a matter of time before all of this happened. And so they were waiting for this to happen. And they were waiting, and they were waiting, and they were waiting a long time. They were waiting 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. They waited 400 years for the next thing to happen. And so we give them some credit. They were hanging on to the law. They were hanging on to the prophets. They were doing the best they could under the circumstances. But suddenly, the next phase of the story begins. It's the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and Gabriel, the angel, in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias and Elizabeth were godly people. They were elderly and they were good people. They were, they were serving the Lord. They believed in God. They, 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 were, they lived under the law. They were good people. And Zacharias had a responsibility to uh, burn incense in the temple. This was his time to do that. And, and they had wanted a, a baby. They were too old. They couldn't have a baby. And so they kind of just went on with their lives. But anyway, Zacharias was in the temple burning incense. And while he's in there, you know, he goes into the, into the holy place, like, like right here there'd be a big curtain so no one could see where he was. He was back here burning incense before the Lord. And as he's back there, an angel appears. And the angel says, Zacharias, God has, answered your pray- has heard your prayers and answered your prayers. You're, you're, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And your baby's going to be great. He's going to be an, an awesome uh, 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 person in Israel. He's going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. 
And Zacharias' response to that is, how could that be? We're old. My wife is barren. She's old. And Gabriel says, this is what Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. You're questioning me? From now on until that baby's born, Zacharias, you won't be able to speak. How many of you know, that's a hard task right there. Nine months of not talking, Zacharias' lips were sealed. He could not speak. So, story goes on. Elizabeth did get pregnant. And in her sixth month, Gabriel came to another woman, a young lady, in Israel. And uh, her name was Mary. And uh, Gabriel says to because Mary was startled, she sees an angel. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You're blessed of God. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the highest. He's going to have an eternal kingdom. And Mary's response is not that all that could happen, but her response was, how could that be? I've never been with a man. And the angel Gabriel says, no, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the highest will overshadow you. And you'll conceive and, and get pregnant by a work of God in your womb. And Mary says, well, to paraphrase, who am I to argue with that? According to thy will, let it be done. And Gabriel says to Mary, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant too. So you have an elderly Elizabeth and a younger Mary, both pregnant. In the meantime, Mary must have told her, her betrothed husband, Joseph. Now, a betrothed husband is like engagement in our culture multiplied a hundred times. It's a real serious commitment. Not married yet, not consummated yet, but, but like almost. And so she probably told Joseph, because we read in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, which we just read, that Matthew was ready to put her away secretly. He didn't know what was going on. She, his, his betrothed wife is pregnant. He knows he's not the father. So he's going to put her away quietly. And while he's thinking about that, pondering that, he goes into a sleep. And the angel appears to him in a dream and says, you know what, Joseph, this is going to be okay. This is all of God. This is going to fulfill a prophecy from Isaiah, among others, but Isaiah 7, 14, that the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So Joseph is dealing with that, and he, he, he accepts that. So in the meantime, while that's going on, Mary decides to go visit Elizabeth. Now, I think that maybe Mary was giving Joseph some time to sort all this out, maybe. But anyway, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth sees Mary, her relative, the baby in her womb leaps, because the angel had said to Zacharias, your baby will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. So when the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And Elizabeth says to Mary, oh, Mary, you're blessed. Uh, what, 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 what gives me this honor that the mother of my Lord would come visit with me? And then Mary begins to bless the Lord. And she says in, in Luke chapter 1, 46, oh, my soul doth magnify the Lord, for he has done great things with me. You know, the Magnificat, a great hymn of praise in the church. And so Elizabeth then a few months later, does have the baby. 
And uh, she has the baby, and everyone says, what's the baby's name going to be? And Zacharias is saying, mm, mm, because he's the father, he hasn't got to name the baby. And, and uh, I was telling my, one of my granddaughters this the other day, and, and she's, uh, she said, how did he, so, so Zacharias asked for a tablet. Well, how did he ask for a tablet? Mm-hmm. That's how we asked for it. So we got a tablet, and he wrote down, his name will be John. And as soon as he wrote that down and showed everyone, he could speak again. And then Zacharias begins to prophesy and give praises to God. It was an awesome moment. But this little baby boy, John, was born. We know him as John the Baptist. So then, Joseph and Mary determined to stay together. And uh, they're living in Nazareth at this time. Well, right then, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the area, puts out a decree. He wants to take a census. He wants to know who's living in his kingdom. So he's telling all the Jewish people, you've got to go back to the city of your ancestral roots. Because Jewish people kept, you know, kept track of where they came from. Well, Joseph and Mary both had roots in Bethlehem. So they had to travel from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And while they were there, uh, it was time for Mary to have the baby. So they, they're there, they, they don't have any place to stay. The scripture says there, there was no room for them, for them in the inn. So they found another shelter to go to, probably a stable, we don't know for sure, but they, they found a place to go to, and um, they had the baby there. They had a, a feeding trough uh, for a crib, we call it a manger or a crib, but that's where the hay was put for the animals to eat, feed from. A very unceremonial birth in Bethlehem, this this Christ child was born. Just Joseph and Mary were there. But out in the fields that night, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flock. They're, they do what they do. They just kind of hang out and make sure no one steals the sheep and the sheep don't do anything crazy and run away. They're doing what they do. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to them and they're startled. They're scared to death. And the angel says, Don't be afraid. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And all of a sudden, a whole heavenly host of angels appeared in the sky. They start singing and praising God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men of goodwill. Hallelujah. They were having church in the sky. And those shepherds were saying, oh my goodness, something magnificent is happening. And just like that, that heavenly host departed, went back to glory. And the shepherds look at each other and they say, man, let's go down to the city and see what's going on. And with haste, they made their way into Bethlehem. They looked around. They they found where the Christ child was. They found Joseph and Mary and the babe lying in a manger. And they proclaimed to everyone the things that they saw. They saw the Christ child. They saw the Christ And they went back to attending their sheep that night later. But Mary, it says, Mary just pondered these things in her heart and was kind of pensive about it. So then the baby was born. Shepherds went back to work. On the eighth day, as was the Jewish custom, 
they had to circumcise the baby, so they circumcised the baby. After the, uh, the time, the days of purification had ended for Mary to uh, get over the pregnancy, the delivery of the baby, it was time to dedicate the baby in the temple. So they make their way into Jerusalem to dedicate the Christ child in the temple. And as they're going into the temple, they, they meet a guy there. His name is Simeon. Simeon was someone, it says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In fact, Simeon said that the Lord told him he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. So here you have an Old Testament believer living in the New Testament, like right in the middle, waiting for the Messiah to be born. And he sees his family come in with with the baby, and he knows instinctively, this is the one. And he takes that baby... He blesses the baby, blesses the Joseph and Mary. He has a word for Mary. He said, this child will be blessed, but this child is going to cause a lot of division. And Mary, this child is going to bring a lot of sorrow to your heart. And right at that time, another person came into the temple. We know her as Anna. It says she was a woman of great age. She was a widow for 84 years. And in my logic... If she was married at, say, 16, and her husband died when she was 18, so 18 and 84 is 102, she was old. But she was going into the temple to pray and to serve the Lord. And she walks in on this whole scenario. And when she sees it, she also knows instinctively, this is the Messiah. This is what everyone has been waiting for. And uh, she spoke to all who looked for a redemption in Jerusalem. She told everyone she could, the Messiah is here. So the first family is raising their son and living. The next episode probably happens about two years later. And in another part of the world, there's magi, wise men in, in Babylon. We know that as Iraq. This has very special significance, especially as we study the book of Daniel and Jeremiah, because when Daniel and Jeremiah were taken away from Jerusalem and Israel and brought to Babylon for the Babylonian captivity, Daniel especially had so many visions and revelations as to when the Christ would come. And so the wise men and the magi of that time would hear and listen to Daniel. And all these years later... There's magi in the east studying the prophets, you know, knowing the approximate time when the Savior would come, and they see a star in the sky. And they, they know, we've got to follow that star to find this Christ child. So they pack up. Historically, it says that there were three. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but church history says there were three. I don't know how many there were. I think there might have been more. But in my mind, I picture there were probably donkeys and camels and horses and servants and people, an entourage of people. And the Magi there riding on a camel and just being real special. And they make their way from from Babylon all the way into Jerusalem. And they start asking around, where's the Christ child going to be born? Where is he? Like they thought something, you know, they were expecting some fanfare. Well, no one knew anything, and, but then King Herod caught wind of them being there. 
So King Herod hears that these guys are here looking for the king. And so King Herod gets the scribes, the Jewish leaders, and he gets them together. And he says, listen, when is your king supposed to be born? Where is your king supposed to be born? And right away, they didn't even have to think about, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And King Herod says, oh, okay. So he secretly meets with the wise men, with the magi. And he says to them, go worship your king. But when you're finished, come back and let me know where he is so I can go and worship him too. Which was not true, but that's what he said. So the Magi go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, not far, just maybe five or six miles away. And they, they go and they fall down and they worship the king, the baby king, the, the young king. Now, some people think Jesus is maybe one and a half, two years old at this point. But they worship the babe. They bring gifts to the babe. They bring gold representing his royalty. They bring frankincense representing his priesthood. They bring myrrh representing his death because myrrh was an oil used in, in death and burial. And they're proclaiming the royal high priest who will die for sins and rise again. And they worship him and honor him. They fall down on their face and they give him respect and they give him honor. And right after they do all that, these magi, one or several, have a dream. And in the dream, the Lord tells them, don't go back and talk to King Herod. He's a bad man. Go back a different way. So they, they obey what was said in the dream. They don't see King Herod. They go back a different way. At the same time, Joseph has another dream. And the angel in the dream says to Joseph, Joseph, pack up everything you got and get out of town. Go to Egypt. Because King Herod's going to do something bad. He wants to kill the Messiah. Go to Egypt. So he packs up and he goes. When King Herod hears that, he decides he's going to kill every male child, two years old and younger, just in case the Messiah is still in the group. Thus the weeping and Rama and the lamentations because of the slaughter of the innocents at that time. And so the first family goes to Egypt. King Herod dies a few years later. Joseph has another dream. Joseph, take your family, go back to Israel. They pack up, come back to Israel. Joseph, don't just settle anywhere in Israel. Settle in Galilee, in the city of Nazareth. And thus, Jesus began his life as a young person. That's why he's called Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, lived there till he was 30. Began his public ministry at age 30, which is when the priest could begin being priest. And for three years, he had a ministry of healing, miracles, proclaiming the kingdom of God, died on the cross, rose from the grave on the third day, 40 days later, ascended into glory with the promise to come back again. And this is the story of Christmas. This is the true story of Christmas. All those little details is part of the story. I want to go back a little bit here. And I said earlier that the Christmas story is an eternal story. And I really believe this story will be told until Jesus comes back. You know, this story was told way before we came on the scene. And should the Lord tarry and we die to be with the Lord in heaven, it'll be proclaimed after we're dead and gone. It will still be part of the story. It'll be part of the world narrative that God came and dwelt among us. I, I can't prove this, but I think, I mean, in my mind, I have some questions for Gabriel. Was Zacharias, did Zacharias really have an attitude? I want to know about that. How, what was Mary like? 
I mean, I think when we get to heaven, people are going to be talking about this miraculous virgin birth. How, how could that really happen? I mean, I have a lot of questions. I think that the birth of Christ will be part of the story forever and ever and ever. Amen. But it's an eternal story. It's also a very purposeful story. Yes, he fulfilled prophecy. Yes, he redeemed Israel. Yes, he redeemed the world. His purpose was fulfilled. He came and he did what he had to do. Yes, it was a holy story. I'm always impressed by the purity of Joseph and Mary, the innocence of this young couple, trying to do everything right by the Lord, you know. And then I'm also impressed by the elderly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were elderly and still serving the Lord. There's a message in that too. But they were pure. I think of the, the glory of the angels singing praises to God and Gabriel saying flat out, though you know, I stand in the presence of God. No wonder why when people have encounters with angels, they're frightened. He must, be, he must have lit up the room when he came down. He was in the presence of God, but the glory of the angels. And who could ever forget the simplicity of the shepherds? Every year I preach about the shepherds because I love the story of the shepherds. Because they were just normal people, working people, doing their thing at night, you know, tending the flock. And God brought them into the story. It's a wonderful thing, but this is a holy story. And I think about the hunger of the Magi. They were educated. They had money. They had means. They had gifts. They had everything the world had to offer. But you know what? They still had a hunger in their heart to know the real truth. And they traveled so far to find the Christ child. It's a holy story about the holiness of God making way for the unholy to find peace with God. And you know, it is a life-changing story. Every one of us here that has received Christ, the Word of God says, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you have received this Christ child into your life. But I want to end this by saying that now this Christmas story is our story. So take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me real quickly to John chapter 1. And just want to read a couple of verses because John's story of Christmas is a lot different than Matthew and Luke, but he does allude to it. He says in John chapter 1 verse 6, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. We know him as John the Baptist. He was sent from God. And this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. The light is Jesus. The light of the world has come. Do you ever notice Christmas is always characterized by lights? I mean, look at this. There's lights everywhere. Isn't it beautiful? But the light of the world has come. And John came to bear witness. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness of the true light that came. Jesus is the light of the world. That all through him might believe. He was not that light. John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And isn't it interesting to think that John and Jesus were related somehow? Some people say cousins, maybe second cousins, but they were related. They were on a mission. And verse number 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, this light was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Well, how sad is that? This is a sad verse, verse number 10. Jesus was in the world. He came to live in the world, and the world was made through him. We know that from other passages, but the world did not know him. He came to his own people, the people of Israel, 
and his own did not believe him, did not receive him. But verse number 12 is where I want to just rest for a minute. As many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So it doesn't matter what age group, what generation you're in, what country you're from, what language you speak, what race you are, what culture, it doesn't matter anything. But if you receive this, you have been given the legal and spiritual right to be called a child of God. I don't know about you. That, that makes me feel excited to know I have the right. Because when the, when the spiritual uh, accusations come against me, and I hear demonic forces in my head, and I do, so I'm not, I'm not literally, but I feel like, you know, insecurity issues. No, no, no. I have the right to say, I am a child of God. Get thee behind me, Satan, or anybody else that wants to disrupt the work of God in my life. I have the right to be a child of God. Oh man, I could preach on that. I have the legal right. Why, why do I have a legal right? Because Jesus paid for it on the cross. He paid for it with his blood. That was the ratification of this covenant. Nothing that I did, nothing that you did, Jesus did it all. We put our faith in him and we are redeemed by his blood. And we have been given the right to be called a child of God. Hallelujah. I love that. I love that. So I want to leave you with these two scriptures. One is from Luke chapter 2, and one is from John chapter 1, which I just read. But Luke chapter 2, one of our favorite scriptures in the whole Christmas story. And for some reason, I always flash back to Charlie Brown Christmas story. And the little funny Christmas tree. And I don't know who says it, but Linus says it to Charlie. There is born unto you (laughs) this day. In the city of David, a Savior. I remember hearing that as a, as a young person and thinking, man, that's so perfect. That is so perfect. And for some reason, I, I had this thing where the Christmas tree was rather pathetic, but it, it bore witness in my heart that, we're all, that I was pathetic, we're all kind of pathetic. But in spite of that, God came and gave us a Savior. I remember I, have, I had a friend named Michael. Michael uh, went home to be with the Lord. I shared his story with you a couple of years ago. Michael and I were estranged for probably 20 years. And uh, his father knew my father, and his father gave my father Mike's phone number, and my father gave it to me and said, you should call him sometime. I had it in my wallet for years. One day I called him. I was in the Plastow uh, parking lot of Market Basket. I'll never forget. I said, Mike, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, Rick. How you doing? Next time I come to New York, I'm going to visit with you. But anyway, Mike and I, when we were kids, we would watch the Charlie Brown Christmas story. There was always a hunger in our hearts about God. But Mike got really kind of messed up. I got messed up, and we went our ways. But in the next year or so, maybe you heard this story, but Mike got really sick. Mike was dying. I didn't even know. He didn't even know at the time. But a year later, he was given six months to live. And one day I was down there visiting with him. I said, Mike, can I talk to you about Jesus? Because I had visited him a few times. I said, can I talk to you about Jesus? And I, we prayed years ago. He said, Rick, that's why you're here. I've been waiting for you to ask the question. I said, why didn't you say so? But anyway, I told him about Jesus. He accepted the Lord. He, he was really born again. His life was a mess, but he accepted the Lord. He got sicker. He died like two or three months later. But he's in heaven right now. And I think about, Mike and I used to watch Charlie Brown Christmas Story, and we used to say, like, run to us as a child, what does that mean? You know, the Christmas tree looks pathetic. 
But as we got older, we realized we were the tree. (laughs) And Jesus was the Savior. And we needed to be delivered of our patheticness, if you could say it that way. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Make it personal. There's born unto you. You. That goes to everybody. There's born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior. He's for you. He's Christ the Lord. Now that's, that's great news. So now, okay, now there's an opportunity to get right. But, you know, if we could say... Well, Jesus came and died on the cross. Now the whole world, whoever lived before or after that, everyone's going to be saved now because Jesus died for our sins. That would be a great story, wouldn't it? But that's not how it goes. He did that to make the opportunity presentable to everyone. Our job as the church is to tell everyone, to give them an opportunity to receive that, to believe in that. Just because he did it doesn't guarantee everyone's going to be saved. So he did what he had to do. And now he's saying to the rest of the world, you've got to do what you have to do. What the church has to do is proclaim it. Like my friend Lenny proclaimed it to me and Pamela many years ago. He proclaimed the truth of God's word. And we received it. I mean, just because Jesus died, I mean, Jesus died on the cross didn't mean much for me until I received it. When I received it, I became born again. And so John 1.12, which we just read, it says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God, to those who believe in his name. So we have two things to think about. Christ has come. Hallelujah. That's the message of the church. We've got to proclaim that truth. But just because somebody hears that truth doesn't mean they're saved or they're right with God. Many people have heard the Christmas story. Not many have received him as Lord and Savior. Our job is to present and to lead, maybe help somebody to open up their heart to receive Christ on a personal level. So that is the Christmas story. And I I just had to get that out, and I wanted to proclaim it. Like I said, if the church doesn't proclaim it, no one's going to proclaim it. Just like, you know, I don't know if you noticed, we have a manger scene out front. It's not much, but it's Joseph and Mary and the baby with lights. And, and every year I say to myself, we need to do this again. I've been here 14 years now. 14 years we've been putting up that little ranger out there. And I, every time I go through that in my thinking, I feel the Lord say to me, yeah, you, have to, you should probably even make a better one. I hear the Lord whispering in my ear. But anyway... You're not going to see it in front of the library. You're not going to see it in town hall. You're not going to see it downtown even. You can't do it anymore in the public place. The churches have to proclaim it. So we put it out there. Hopefully people drive by and see it and are reminded what the real story of Christmas is. It's Joseph. It's Mary. It's the angels. It's the birth of a baby, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So can we stand together? I want to close out with, with prayer. And uh, I started this morning by saying that the world system has almost hijacked the joy of Christmas. Can't let it happen. With worry, with stress, with money, and everything else, it's like, ay, ay, ay. Let's keep it simple, keep it holy. And, and just a word, a word to the wise, 
Be careful with what you spend financially. Really, be careful. January is coming when all the bills are due. So just be careful what you spend in December. You know, use wisdom. Use wisdom. But I wonder if there's anybody here today that um, has heard the story. You know the story. But you've never received him. Yeah, you know, once you, a, 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 a savior is born. Yeah, you know that. But you've never received him. So every head bow just for a moment. Is, is there anybody here today? Maybe somebody at home. I don't know. Maybe you heard this story a thousand times. And you could tell it better than I just told it. But you never received the Lord into your life. It's humbling to receive the Lord. It's humbling. That's why the story of the Magi is so important. They had everything going for them. And they bowed down and worshiped the Christ child. The shepherds came running. They, 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 they recognized this is the Christ. They were amazed at what was going on. But is there anyone here that needs to receive Christ today? Receive Christ today. Raise your hand if that's you. What I'm saying is, is there anybody here that needs to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? Anyone at home? Oh, thank you back there. Anyone at home? Write it down. We'll, we'll, we'll check it out later. And I wonder if there's some that are at a place right now where the Lord is the Lord of your life for 98% of your life. You know there's a couple of percentage points that you're hanging on to yourself. What you do, what you say, how you think, where you go. And you're feeling conviction of the Lord saying, you know what, I want all of you. And what better time than Christmas to lay down that two, three, four, five, ten percent that you're holding back from the Lord. Does anyone here feel like you want to just lay down everything before the Lord? I, my hand is up there too. I just want to give everything to the Lord. And then finally, how many of you need the help of the Savior? How many of you need help? Man, we should, we should always need the help of our Savior until we're with him face to face one day. So let me pray. Let me pray. Lord, with the one that raised their hand and maybe some at home, Father, we all come before you today with a hungry and humble heart that says, Lord God, I know I'm a sinner. I know, I'm, I, know I fall short and I know I don't deserve any goodness from you at all. But Lord, right now I open up my heart and I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I receive you. I receive you, Lord. I know the story in my head, but right now I receive you in my heart. I realize you came for me. Unto you this day, unto me, a Savior has come. Today, Lord, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you. I trust you. I surrender to you. Lord, I need your help, though. I need your help. I've been down this road before, Lord. I need your help. I, I need your constant reminder that you love me, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, that, that you'll, you'll guide me through the rough spots in my life, and there's a lot of them. So, Lord, enter my heart, come into my heart, and, 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 and cause me to be born again into your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, for those that responded in such a way that, that uh, there's still some percentage points of our lives that, I, that we don't want to give up. We enjoy certain things too much. 
even though we're convicted of it, we feel guilty of it, we feel like we shouldn't do it or think it or go there or, or whatever. But Lord, we pray that right now, today, right now, Lord, we want to give you that percentage point back. We want to give it to you right now. Lord, that may mean us making some changes in our lives, altering some things that we say or do. But we're going to trust you, Lord, to lead us and guide us and strengthen us in those areas where we're not embarrassed or we're not, we're not uh, uh, afraid to step out and to actually, actually live a holy, righteous life the way we see in your word. And Lord, for all of us, oh Lord, we need your help. We need your help. Lord, the scripture says that you came to give your life as a ransom and then you returned to glory so that you could send your Holy Spirit so your spirit could be our helper. So we thank you that you were born. Thank you that you lived your life, that you died, that you rose, that you ascended. And now you sent your Holy Spirit to help us. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. So, Lord, we ask you to fill us with the help of the Holy Spirit during these days. Lord, they're difficult days in this time. Financially, relationally, work-wise, shopping-wise, just people-wise. There's so much tension everywhere. Health-wise, so many have been sick physically. And Lord, we pray also for the people affected by those tornadoes out west in Kentucky and different places. People have died. We pray for those families to be comforted, to be helped by your Holy Spirit, oh God. But Father, as your children, as your people, we, we depend upon you, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit during these days. And Lord, uh, let us be the first ones to say at the dining room table uh, during this season when we're with family or friends let us be the first ones to bring Jesus into the story into the conversation let us not be ashamed or embarrassed but let us keep Christ central to the conversation over these days and Lord with that we want to pray for our sons and daughters and our parents and our brothers and sisters and our cousins and people that we love people that we work with that don't know you we pray Lord that they would come to know you during this time. That the story wouldn't just be in their mind, it would make its way into their heart and they would receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for this most wonderful story, the story of Christ's birth. Let us leave here, Lord, encouraged and built up and established and ready to give a good defense of our faith and, and to share our love with other people. Let us be the light. You're the light, but you said that we're the light. So let us be the light that you want us to be to shine in darkness during these days. We thank you and we praise you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, amen and amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you are commissioned to go let your light shine. If the opportunity is there, tell somebody about Jesus. And uh, don't forget, today, tonight's the Christmas caroling and the young adult ministry downstairs at 7. So God bless you. Merry Christmas. I'll see you soon.